Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another exciting, cool, interesting, covering new. I beg your pardon. Excuse me. I'm talking. I'm sorry. We're covering new ground that we haven't covered before. That's right. And and you'll enjoy that. After Once we get past my co-host, Lee Boyd, interrupting me. I apologize. I was just so excited, but I will do the intros. We have Rob Beller over there and Lee Boyd over here. And Mm -hmm. we're here. We're here, which is a little sad because last week we were in person. This week we're 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 virtual again. So it's a little sad. You know, I want to get back to an important point here. Do I ever interrupt you when you're talking? I don't think I ever every time. I can't tell you how many times you say (laughs) you ask the next question and I key it up and then you just start talking. I think that well, happened a lot maybe four or five times recently. I've, I'm intellectually curious. What can I say? <laughs> you are. You are a curious <laughs> being, which is great. I mean, that's what that's part of the uh, the the charm of the podcast. Having somebody who cares enough to ask and to jump in and say, "I like that." Well, let's ask a, the the real question. Yeah. What what is the charm of this podcast? Does it have any charm? I think so. I think it's. I think it's I our guests. Oh, oh, you're right. No, it's the no, guest. No, it's the guest. No, it's certainly not us. It's certainly yeah. not us. But you um, know, we we get some amazing guests on. We get some people we that we get some people that our listeners might not even know are out there, but they have these huge jobs and they do these really cool things, and we get a, we get a visit with them. It's great. Let me tell let me tell you about one. Okay, I would love that. Coincidentally. Yeah. He is our guest today. Wow. A shucker. We have Ali Germanian, who yes. is managing director with Anthemus Group, one of the preeminent VCs in the world of InsureTech and FinTech. Yeah. Uh, a who's who of companies that they've invested with. And Ali has a really, really interesting job in working directly with the limited partners, the LPs. Right. right. In and and communicating and working with and talking to and taking care of the the unique problems, situations, and so forth that you'll hear about today. Yeah. We're gonna get to talk all about insured tech specifically, even though he reaches out in, into the fintech world, but we're gonna get to talk about What's going on? Where's it been? Where's it going? What are they looking at? What does his day look like? Uh, he's a fascinating person and a, and a really great guest. So I can't wait to, to, to dive right into this episode and visit all about his world. Right. He's going to talk about uh, where the money comes from, which, which is a, a, a very interesting part of the puzzle, and what's going on out there. We're thrilled to have him with us. A really smart guy. And um, unlike your co-hosts, yeah, <laughs> not smart guys, just guys. But we know the smart people 
therefore we're smart, you know, if there's one thing we're smart about, if there's one thing we're smart about, we know where to find the smart people, right? Astrid. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Ali Germanian, the managing director at Anthemis. Hey everybody. Welcome to our episode today, another special episode in our continuing saga of special episodes. We have with us today another person from the venture community, a representative of Anthemus, who is a name that if you know anything about investing in the InsureTech and FinTech space, you know that name. Uh, very prominent and super successful. We have with us Ali Germain. It's pretty good. It's close. How close? close? You know, you, you did it better than I do sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's, it's Ali Garamian. So just a hard G, not a, yeah. I guess that's close. I, I would go, so right? go as far as saying that wasn't close at all. No, <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised. That's, that's probably one of the better ones I've heard. So you definitely get a B plus. I got the first name right. There you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We'll just, we'll the just, win is a win. in the interest of our audience, we'll just call you Ali. There you How's go. that? Okay. Perfect. Germanian. What kind of name is that? That's a very interesting name. Yeah. It's a, it's of Persian background. My parents uh, immigrated to the U S back in the, the, the seventies and, but uh, yeah, have a, a, a name of uh, Persian descent. That's awesome. Or, or Iranian descent as more commonly known. That's Did they awesome. leave during the whole Shah? It was, it was, it was around that time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a great story in itself. We'll save that for our the next time we have you on because we have other things to talk about today, like about you, about what you do, and and who you work for. So let's start by just asking you that you have a unique job. We've had many other VCs on, and we talk a lot about money and where it goes. You have a different job. Tell us what it is that you do at Anthemus. Yeah, and I think it might be helpful if I, if I also talk just a little bit about Anthemus too, and, and please, why my job please, exists please, um, please. at Anthemus. You know, maybe and why it may not exist at all venture firms. Yeah, first of all, thanks thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. Um, just I, I think just to kick things off, right? If you think about Anthemus, we are one of the largest dedicated fintech venture firms in the world, and and one of the earliest to get into the sector. You know, one of the key things to know about Anthemus is that our mission is to cultivate change in the financial system. And the main way we, we go about doing that is by investing in startups that leverage technology, um, have new and innovative business models that we believe have the potential to significantly impact the financial services industry at large. And, um, and, I, and I'll talk a little bit about what makes us special and, and all that throughout this conversation. But I think one of the things that we're known for at Anthemis is we have generally believed from our inception that it's important for us, if we, if we truly want to cultivate change in the financial system and for it to be sustainable, we have to work with the industry rather than trying to destroy it. So the sort of Silicon Valley sort of move fast and break things uh, ethos, um, we've never really subscribed to, especially since we're operating in, in highly regulated, highly matrixed environments globally. And so we, we always thought that the true or optimal path in financial services change is to work with the leaders and work with those incumbents. Um, and so to that end, our founders at Anthemus, Amy Nyakas and Sean Park, when they founded Anthemus, um, the sort of the, as, as Amy would say, the, the morning of the financial crisis, was to build a very sort of inclusive ecosystem of 
regulators, investors, entrepreneurs, academics, and corporate leaders to engage with. And that's really reflective of our investor base at Anthemis, which um, I would say close to 90% of all of our limited partner dollars are invested in, our investors at Anthemis are what you consider to be corporate strategic investors. So these are oh. investors that are corporations that um, are banks, insurance carriers, they're part of the global financial ecosystem. And they're investing in us to get sort of venture scale financial returns but with that money also comes um, the need for strategic return and strategic alpha. They're investing in us to essentially help them accelerate their innovation. And my role in particular at Anthem is um, what came as a result of us, again, having such a large corporate and strategic LP base to ensure that those LPs are getting the right level of engagement and that strategic alpha that they're looking to capture by working with Anthemis. And so I'd say my role is to, to, to lead up this, this platform that we've developed here to ensure that, again, I'm liaising and working directly with those LPs. Uh, many of those, as I mentioned, are some of the largest banks in the world, some of the largest insurance carriers in the world, right? And some of those insurance carriers, in fact, have their own corporate venture teams. They've been quite active in the space, making direct investments. Um, and on the other side of the spectrum, some of them may be quite nascent in their corporate investing journey. And we work directly maybe with their strategy teams and M&A teams and innovation teams to ensure that we are um, giving that value that they're looking for. And I'm happy to talk about some of those levers that we can pull to ensure yeah. that they, they get that value. That, that, wow, that, that's a lot right there. And, and thanks for laying a lot to unpack. Let's, and thanks for laying that all out. But I want to ask you a quick question. Mm -hmm. So where do you guys usually get involved? uh, Or do you look at that way? Because you're not only serving and interested in the financial returns, you're also interested in the strategic returns on behalf of your LPs. Right. Um, are, Are you just, are you early? Yeah. Are you later? What's your thesis there? Yeah. So, and maybe I'll unpack that a little bit by, by, by saying first that Anthemis has collectively been part of building this sort of venture, um, fintech venture market from the very beginning. Um, and the initial wedge for us in the space is really, and then that served us well and continues to serve us well is to be deep industry experts in what we considered at the time was a world of generalists that we thought could help differentiate us from a deal flow perspective. And that's really reflected by how many people at Anthemis who before venture built very successful careers at some of the global financial services um, organizations. And they really got to learn those businesses from the ground up. When Anthemis started, there were maybe 50 companies that would actually fit the definition of financial technology that you could have invested in. And if you think about where we are today, that fintech market has really exploded and it continues to grow, right? Um, In the early days, you could aspire to see everything that was happening in fintech. Today, it's absolutely impossible, even if you are enormous, right? Because about one fifth of all venture deals across all of tech are happening in fintech right now. And so, you know, from our vantage point uh, and what serves us well is is we have um, a diversified strategy you know, I would call it venture studio, you know, early stage, and uh, we have a growth vehicle as well. So we are a diversified asset manager um, in venture. We're able to sort of um, position ourselves and, and be competitive across that capital stack. What we're really known for and sort of like what I would consider our flagship strategy is kind of what you already alluded to is 
is is getting in early, right? So we typically like to to, to focus our efforts at, at seed in Series A is where we've sort of made our bones. So getting in, in quite early, getting to learn founders from the beginning, leading rounds, taking board seats. As I mentioned, we're quite comfortable across different uh, stages of maturity uh, within the insure tech and the, the broader fintech ecosystem, whether it's again early or if it's quite late in pre-IPO. So are your investors saying to you, uh, this is the this is the area of the fintech or insuretech world that we're interested in. Go get them. Is, yeah. is, is, and, and that's really your role is to understand what is most important to your to your investors and then actualizing it right. through through the company. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, you're, you're spot on. And I think that's what makes my my job fun in that it's highly bespoke based on who that limited partner is. Right. Uh, and, and let me give you an example here is, you know, we will have certain LPs that look to us as a, a way to give them better insights, right? We see upwards of over 2000 deals a year across all of our vehicles, right? So we've got tremendous deal flow. We've been investing in the space for over 10 years. We've seen FinTech go from 1.0 or depending on who you talk to, 2.0 to 3.0, I forget what number we're on right now. But, um, you know, we, we've been investing across all these different cycles. And so what happens is our investor will essentially say, you know, we're really interested in working with you all to help us get better and smarter, help us separate the signal from the noise, help me understand what might be coming around the corner based on, you know, the deals that you're going to see based on the conversations you're having with founders, based on conversations you're having within that broad ecosystem that you've built at Anthemis over the course of the, the past 10 years. There's a lot of tremendous rich insight that we can offer um, to our LPs in, in that regard. And part of my role there is to understand that insurers needs, for example, let's, let's, since we're talking about insure tech mostly today is, yes. you know, we'll have LPs that may be globally diversified across multiple lines of business. Right. And so for us, we can talk to them about everything we're seeing across the life business, what we're seeing in employee benefits, for example, what we're seeing in cyber, what we're seeing in, you know, broader the PNC business. We have other LPs that are very focused, for example, just in PNC, right? And they may be looking at particular verticals that they're most interested in, like, let's just say mobility as an example, right? And so they really look to us to get to help give them that insight and in what's happening in that space in particular. And so it's tremendously bespoke. It's very customized based on what every, you know, bank or insurance carrier is really prioritizing. And those priorities may change actually on a year to year basis. A new CEO may come in, the right. board may prioritize certain strategies. And so it's really exciting for us because no two LPs are the same. Um, we have some LPs that are actually quite, um, again, they're large corporates, they're the household names that uh, we all know and your listeners would know. But they're very interested in working with us to do co-investments and invest alongside of us. An example, they may, may be less interested in the insights, for example, they may be more interested in co-investment opportunities or looking at some of the deals that we're seeing in the market, as an example. So it's it's very complex. It's it keeps my it keeps me and my team busy and keeps us on our toes. But it's it's a lot of fun getting to to meet a lot of these these great companies, getting to know what they're prioritizing, and then making sure that we can we can meet them where they are. That is great. I mean, you know, in, in 2017, 18, 19, early 20, we saw InsureTech just explode. 
and mm-hmm. everyone wanted to invest in that. We, we felt like we saw it kind of cool off a little bit. Where, you know, where are we at now? Are people out there looking to get in these seed, seed rounds and series A, series A rounds? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's, and it's one that's, I'd say very much top of mind for the broader investor community, right? Because yeah, yeah it's no secret that, you know, we've seen a, a cooling off of risk assets, right? We're, we're, we're sort of in this risk off environment right now where, um, you know, the broader, you know, technology or growth stocks, for example, in, in, in the public markets, as we know, in the last 12 months have gone through a very meaningful correction, and in insuretech, public company stocks have not been immune to that, right? In fact, they've been hit quite hard. And so, you know, the conversation that we're, we're hearing from people in the industry or rather tangentially to the industry is, is this still an area where you're, you're seeing, you know, investor sentiment wanting to deploy capital into? And the short answer is, is very much yes, right? And I, and I think it's for a, a number of reasons. One is so much of the investment that's happening and InsureTech, and to your point over the last five years, five to six years that that's happened in InsureTech, a lot of that investment and that those dollars deployed in that space have actually come from the insurers themselves, right? Yeah. And so it's not like because, you know, we've seen a correction in, in these valuations that your large household, ins- uh, you know, insurers are going to, you know, say, you know what, we're going to stop, you know, focusing on digitizing our, our, our processes, or we're going to stop being efficient, or we're going to stop leveraging technology to do things better or meet our customers where they are or providing better experiences. Right. I think that, you know, that Pandora's box has been open that this digitization of the insurance industry is very much, um, you know, a board level issue. It's going to continue to be a priority because there's so much wood to chop. There's absolutely so much work to, to be done. So I, I think going back to your question in particular, the best, I would say the strongest founders, even at the very early stage, are able to get funding right now. They may not always get get it at the terms that they want to, right? But I would say the investor, you know, there is there is a, a crop of investors that are very much because there's such a strategic element uh, to this that are still very much interested in, in deploying capital in, in insure tech. And I think for us as as stewards of LP capital, it's 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 an exciting time. But um, I think the mechanics and the fundamentals of insure tech investing has changed a little bit. Are th- Investors, the people who are bringing the money to the table, are they getting better at it? I mean, now that they've been investing in insure tech for a number of years, many of them, uh, there must be lessons you learn along the way. Uh, is, is, is that what you're seeing, that they're more discerning or more uh, uh, interested or m- more careful or even more aggressive. Yeah. You know, venture is very much a, uh, apprenticeship, apprenticeship business. Right. Um, I think, I think it was John Doerr's, you know, legendary Silicon Valley investor of the past 25 years. He said, uh, for you to really call yourself a venture capitalist, you have to really have deployed a hundred million dollars. Right. And have, you know, the road scars to show for it and make a bunch of mistakes along the way, because yes, part of venture is, is, is pattern recognition. Part of it is identifying, you know, what's worked before in the past and maybe applying lessons learned going forward. That's not all of it. It is very much more of an art than it is a science. And I think one of the challenging things about venture is you have really long feedback cycles, right? You yeah. often may not know until five, maybe even 10 years later, how good that investment you, you made. Right. And so, you know, the feedback 
cycles are quite slow, right. In our, in our business. And so going back to the earlier point around, you know, around 2016, 17, we saw a lot of capital being deployed and a lot of investment in that space. I think a lot of those investors are only now starting to, to learn some lessons around what worked and what didn't work. Right. I think the key lesson around your question, like, are they getting better is, and I think this has been a very healthy correction in the venture space is that we've seen this movement away from, I would call momentum investing to truly in investing on the back of fundamentals. Right. And what I mean by momentum investing is rounds were happening so quickly in the broader fintech ecosystem, but and so I'm, I'm counting insuretech as part of that. Uh-huh. That you know, a, a, a startup would would raise a seed round, get some traction, turn around, raise a monster Series A. 18 months later, a lot of times, much much uh, less time than that, would turn around and, and raise a Series B. And so you would get these investments that were constantly getting marked up. They were constantly getting increases in valuations. Mm-hmm. And so you had this fear of missing out, this FOMO mentality mm-hmm. that was driving a lot of investment that was happening um, across all of venture, including InsureTech. I think what's happened now is that cycle has slowed down, right? I think that FOMO is is generally out the window now because it's become much harder for startups in the environment that we're in right now to raise money very quickly. And for those companies that are able to raise beyond their seed round, they're having to show really meaningful fundamentals, right? They're having to show real revenue. Um, Oftentimes, I mean, there's a focus on profitability, which in venture, we weren't really even thinking about much as an industry, I would say. Uh, uh, maybe close to IPO. In fact, a lot of the companies that have gone public in the last three to four years are still not profitable. Correct. Right. And right. There's this tremendous demand to go profitable much earlier. So to answer, are, are they, are they getting better? Are these investments, are, are investors getting better? I think there's been tons of lessons learned, right? There's a tremendous amount of lessons learned. Let me give you one example of that, um, you know, broader, broadly speaking in this last 10 years plus 10 plus years of the bull market that we've been in, there's been a massive focus on customer acquisition, right? And, you know, venture capitalists were oftentimes throwing money uh, to help these young companies be able to acquire customers. And those customer acquisition costs were just spiraling out of control over time, right? Yeah. And, you know, it was kind of almost like this, if you build it, they will come sort of thing. Let's build it and let's acquire as many customers as, as we can. We can focus on profitability later on, Right. Um, and I feel like a lot of, uh, investors oftentimes, and by the way, I would not say necessarily the savvy ones, but there was a lot of investment that happened in InsureTech that was very much focused on customer acquisition above anything else. Let's focus on growth, not profitability. And a lot of those investors may have gotten burned, right? Because sure. of what's happened, right? A lot of the inv- venture capitalist investors, in fact, were maybe subsidizing a lot of these losses that we see, right? And it was in around 2016 or 17 when you started seeing a lot of the insurtechs that have since gone public and, you know, statutory filings were coming out and you were starting to see these eye-wateringly high combined ratios and loss ratios that were happening. Yeah. The focus now very much has been around less around that customer acquisition and really solid underwriting, right? Yeah. It's less around... Absolutely. Um, you know, how can you go out there and, and, and back, you know, two entrepreneurs with a really great vision, but, you know, do you have the chops to be able to alongside 
growth to be able to underwrite responsibly. And again, given those long feedback cycles I mentioned, sometimes it's really hard to get that right. In fact, good underwriting is is illustrated in almost decades, not in years, right? And right. so I think we're still very much in this phase of learning, but I think there's been some very um, strong lessons learned that have been codified by the investment community, which I think will only help the insure tech industry going forward. We've seen uh, on uh, just exactly what you're talking about that you can in in our industry in the insurance industry you can gain a lot of you can gain a lot of customers if if you underwrite irrespons not even irresponsibly aggressively mm -hmm. um, uh, and and we've seen that and now we have several of those uh, older insure techs who are trying to write that as they go. And maybe they have the runway to do it, but the whole insurtech world is a lot harder than I think what a lot of people gave it credit for a long time ago. Why is it why is technology slowly adapted uh, and adopted? Why, why do these things happen? Why hasn't why hasn't insurance been disrupted? Which is something that we were talking about when we started our podcast, right? We were talking right. about disruption. We don't even use that word anymore. And right. that you, you must, your, the companies, the investors that you work with must be talking about that, must be talking about, give me better tools to use to, to make my product better, cheaper, faster, um, but not, don't reinvent me because that, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. And if I could just make a comment to that, right. Please, I think, um, you know, I've, and I was fortunate as a, as a consultant at the very early parts of InsureTech to be, to be covering that trend and, and working with some really large carriers in that space around some of the strategies. And I can totally recall like being at a lot of the conferences and, 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 and meeting folks in the space. And it was all about, again, disrupting insurance and disrupting the agent in particular, right. Which, yes, exactly. Um, Goodbye, yeah, agents. Who needs, yeah. Why, why do we need agents? Right. And, and, and I think there was, um, you know, a, a fair amount of hubris there because a lot of these founders were very well intentioned looking at the insurance space and very rightfully saying, why does it look like this? Right. And very rightfully mm -hmm. saying, if I were to start an insurance company, today from a blank sheet of paper, it wouldn't look like anything that I'm seeing in the industry too. So I think these were really healthy questions that were being answered. Mm -hmm. But I think that this is a, this is a complex industry, right? If you look at, you know, just going back to your question, why, why hasn't insurance been disrupted or why hasn't it? Let's, let's, let's not even say disrupted. Let's just say modernized. Right. 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 If you look at all of us, right, and and we, we don't wake up and think of our lives in in, in sectors, right, it's right. So like uh, the experience I'm getting on Amazon or Uber, and you used to hear these examples all the time in 2014, 2015, right? Yep. Our best experiences have become our minimum expectations. So if I translate what I'm seeing and and experiencing with all these other innovative companies, you know, why is my insurance experience so far behind? Mm -hmm. And it, it's a really complex question because you know for us in the insurance industry we typically don't own our value chain from beginning to end like we see in the banks right there's a lot of disintermediation in that value chain that experience for example just a broker and agent relationship right uh, i remember when i was consulting for a lot of insurance companies years ago there was a question around who is our customer is it the broker or is it the agent or is it the policyholder right still and, a question today and right. it's still happening today right mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And so some of that imperfection has, is the reason why this industry has survived, right? I look at it as more of a, a feature, not a bug necessarily. But I think that, um, you know, I, I think this shows how much work we have ahead of us in the insurance business to modernize. And I think this is where our roles as venture capitalists is, is really exciting. And I think it play a really important part of this, this transformation going forward. So you mentioned you were in consulting, you came from the insurance, you worked for several years for an insurer, for a carrier. That must've been one of the reasons why Anthemus was interested in having you on board was because you speak the language, you understand the inherent uh, truths and challenges uh, of this bizarre, in, of this very unusual industry that we're in. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting you say that, right? Because I feel like um, a lot of people always ask, like, how do I get into venture? What's what's the path for me to get into venture? And I, and I think um, the traditional path is, if there is such a thing in venture, has been work at a high growth startup, either as a founder or as a product manager, someone senior and come up and, you know, watch that company get acquired or an IPO. And then your next move is to get into venture or you go th towards, you know, the sort of investment banking, private equity path where really strong financial modeling and sort of um, financial chops as it were, you know, for me, I, I didn't, I didn't follow either one of those paths. You know, I, I worked at, to your point, I, I worked at MetLife for about six years in a number of different roles. And um, this is back when MetLife still had a retail business before they divested it to Mass Mutual. Like most people who worked in the industry, I didn't think that one day I'd be working in the industry. I didn't choose the insurance industry. The, the industry found me like it did most people. <laughs> but like most people, That's right. Yeah, um, but for most people, like most people, when the industry did found me, I, I found it to be a tremendously rewarding career. You know, I remember, I think it was my second month um, at, at MetLife and I was doing it. I was in a rotational program where I was able to, to look at different parts of the business. And I actually worked in the retail group as, you know, as a representative, as a financial services representative as one of my rotations. And I loved it. And my second month there, I, um, I got a call in um, from an outside number um, looking for some help um, as someone's loved one had just passed away and they wanted to file a, a claim. And I was woefully underprepared. I didn't know what I was doing. Right. And, uh, um, I asked them to come to the office the next day. And I, I tell you what, it is such a powerful experience for you to be able to look across someone who's just gone through probably the worst moment of their lives and, you know, be able to help them through that and get them a claim check. Yeah. And you, you recognize the important role that insurance plays in the Americans in American society. I mean, the broader global society is as a whole, right. But the role that we play as insurers, it was tremendously powerful. And so I think it helps speaking the language of, of the industry. I love meeting CFOs or executives now at different carriers and telling them I've sold term policy. If I've sold whole life policies, disability insurance policies across a kitchen table or small business, because you really get to know the business from the ground up. I remember years ago, I'm not sure if they're still doing this now, but Starbucks um, used to do this program for their new executives that they were bringing on that you had to work as a barista for a week. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Where it's, it's great if you're a, you, you could present in a boardroom, but it's another thing 
when you're, you know, it's 8.15 a.m. on Wall Street and, you know, there's 15 people waiting for their Frappuccino, right? You get yeah. to learn the business in a really meaningful way. And I think I was really fortunate to, to come up through the industry and, and learn from some great producers and underwriters and, and go through the whole claims process. And then, yeah, later on as a consultant, being able to directly work with a lot of the carriers and understand that modernization process, that digitization that they were looking to experience that most carriers are still still in with, and, you know, still underway. I, I think it was just a really great experience. I'm really fortunate. It's one of the things we saw early on uh, that when we used to, when we used to, we used to ask the question, we don't ask this question anymore, but of founders mostly, you yeah. know, uh, are you an insurance business or a technology or tech business? business? And, they, and they'd all, they all said we're a technology business. And I think that, I think that that answer has evolved. Right. And one of the, one of the big things that you've seen is of course, like yourself, that these, that these companies uh, particularly the startups are saying, gosh, you know what? We need a lot of insurance know-how here, right? not just the development know-how. And, and they've gone out and, and they've done that. And now most teams include some people with serious um, insurance chops uh, uh, like yourself, but um, uh, very, very interesting thing. With that, you know, with, with all that knowledge, whenever you invest in these companies, uh, you talked early on about how how you don't just invest in them, but you actually work with them. And I, I kind of want to go back to that. And and what are you doing as a as as a global holder to help these founders, these startups? What are you doing to help them succeed? Yeah, um, you know, it, it goes back to um, what I was saying. You know, we we tend to, especially if it's an early stage investment, we tend to get. Um, tend to lead and tend to get a board seat. And, you know, we, we were, we always look to add value where we can irrespective on if we're on the board or not. But, you know, I think first of all, it, it would be helpful on, for your listeners to also understand like, so our team, you know, so again, I, I'm primarily on the LP side, but I, I am, and I'm maybe a little bit biased here, but I, I think I get to work with the, the, the best insure tech team in the business, right? We have Ruth Fox Blader, who is, um, you know, our chief investment officer at the MIS and, you know, she's got tons of experience investing in the space, particularly in her prior role. She worked at a carrier doing this, you know, in a similar role. Um, we have Kate Sampson on our team who, um, had, had a story career, um, as a bro as a broker working for Marsh for many years. Okay. So again, knowing the business from the ground up and then she went to lift, um, to, to lead their insurance strategy and build the insurance, um, capability at lift from the ground up. And so, and, and alongside, um, tremendous other talent on our team. Um, and what I would say is that, again, goes back to us being in the industry and knowing the industry from the ground up, but also being able to look at particular challenges from a technology lens, I think helps us bring something differentiated to the table for a lot of founders. And it could really be um, helping our founders through anything they could be working through, right? It could be anything from helping them, you know, with their talent model, you know, as for starters, um, the oftentimes right now, especially in this environment, a lot of, uh, portfolio companies, um, may be looking for capacity, um, right now. And we, we know a lot of the capacity is dried up and it has maybe not dried up, but corrected a little bit in the space right now. Yeah. So l looking at us to leverage our relationships in the space, 
Um, a lot of the founders also are very much dependent on corporate partnerships, right? Or partnerships with insurers to be able to be successful. It's part of their business model. And they know that at Anthemis, we have a really deep bench of phenomenal um, insurance um, limited partners that we can connect them to. And so, you know, it really, it's important for us, kind of like it is with the LPs, it's important for us to meet the founders where they are. Um, there are some founders that really don't need a lot of help. They just are, um, you know, they just go in guns blazing and they just are executing. Um, and then we have other founders that will lean on us when they feel like that we can bring something different to the table. So it, again, just like it is with our LPs, it's really bespoke, but we're not afraid to get our hands dirty and, and, and help out our LPs where we can. Other our portfolio companies. Yeah. When you're out with your uh, with your customers or your your investors, what are the common things that you're hearing today? Go find me this, and go find me. I'm looking for this. What are the areas of particular interest today that you're that you're hearing? Yeah, it's an interesting question because it goes back to what I was saying. Is and and uh, I'm going to go back to my consulting days here and say the answer is it depends, right? But <laughs> if I if I really try to go deeper here and 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 uh, and think about what what we're hearing from our LPs in terms of investment, the LPs will essentially generally defer to us when it comes to what investments we choose. I think as long as they're bought into the strategy. How do we think about the insure tech space? Where are we excited to deploy capital? And so when it comes to insure tech in particular, you know, we have, I would say generally a, a, a simple thesis, a thesis that's easy to understand, but the devil's in the details, right? It's all about the execution and how you get it done. And our thesis does in fact mirror a lot of those modernization or digitization efforts that we see from a lot of our carriers, right? Um, Automation and AI is top of mind for everyone right now. Yeah. Right? So if you think about, you know, we're hunting for opportunities that can really enrich that underwriting risk assessment, augment risk profiling capabilities, claims processing, or creating personalized customer engagement, right? I would say that broadly speaking, data analytics, and I feel like people have been using this, this term and in investing for years to the point that it's almost become passe, but it still continues, especially when we're in the business of risk transfer, right? And pricing that risk and data is, is, is exceptionally important. Right. And so we're always looking for investments that are able to facilitate the design of new or maybe even more tailored products. So maybe it's more novel underwriting models based on new data or do some sort of data exhaust that we can leverage. So that's really important. Um, we're always, of course, if we're investing in insurance, risk management is top of mind. So new ways uh, of trading, buying and holding risk more transparently or accessibly is important. Uh, I'd say the other one is going back to one of the earlier questions around distribution, right? Distribution, and we're calling it distribution 2.0, right? Okay. We're yep. really big on sort of the broker enablement tools, alternative insurance distribution platforms, embedded insurance. And, you know, you know, I think and the, the term embedded is, obviously become, um, has proliferated within our industry. Yes. Yeah. So that that's an area that we've, we've been focusing on. Uh, and, and I think broadly technology transfer, a lot of times within our, our, uh, in, insurance LPs, they're looking at us to invest in maybe technologies that are tangentially related to insurance, but not directly as part of the insurance industry, like mobility. We, we mentioned as an example, you know, it could be healthcare, it could be supply chain related. A lot of that creates a lot of technology transfer that can be leveraged, for insurance companies or learnings for the industry. So 
those are the areas that we broadly look at in terms of a thesis perspective. And I'm happy to go deeper um, or maybe talk about some other trends that we might be interested in. Yeah, I want to talk about AI for a minute because it's, uh, you know, it's been sexy for a while, but it's even sexier today with ChatGBT and what what they're doing. In fact, I sent my wife uh, a a poem today (laughs) that ChatGPT wrote for me. I was very appreciative and she's like, oh, honey, this is so nice. And I, I, of course, I had to confess (laughs) that I'm not that nice. Um, That's true. Hey, we took a long effort. I'm I'm none of the above. (laughs) Um, But uh, can you talk for a minute about where are we going to see AI coming up in? I I mean, in the insurance world, I I can imagine some spots. But what are you seeing specifically? Where AI is being deeply pursued as 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 part of a product or solution? Yeah, it's it's tricky, right? Because when I think back and, and, and just thinking about the last few years, particularly in certain things such as either cat modeling or in cyber, for example, there are a lot of really great companies and technologies that were leveraging some sort of machine learning to be able to come up with some algorithmic scoring, right? So it could be say, it can say, Hey, business X, you know, your cyber exposure or your risk score is 80. Right. And the idea was that that kind of, that data would be in the risk scoring from an AI perspective would be given to underwriting departments and they would say, gosh, thank you, startup. You know, we're going to take this risk score and now we're going to price it based on what you said. In fact, what we've seen is now a lot of insurance carriers and underwriters don't necessarily trust those risk scores. Right. Yeah. You can come up with whatever algorithm you want. You can come up with whatever AI driven insight that you want, but unless an underwriter actually feels comfortable with that completely, then, you know, that risk score really doesn't mean much. If I think about it from the claims perspective, right, where there's tons of opportunity for AI, for better customer engagement, for, um, you know, automating processes, right? You know, I, I, I always used to joke that we're, you know, in, in insurers have really invested in a really 2023 FNOL process, but the rest of the process is very much in 1987 in a lot of ways. Right. And so there's tons of opportunity there, you know, in in the insurance industry to think about how AI can be leveraged. I think the important thing for us right now and where we are, and at least in terms of what I can predict here, right. And humans are terrible at predicting things. So, you know, I'll, I'll put that caveat here is that, you know, AI isn't going to necessarily in our, in, in the insurance industry, replace wholesale processes. Like I mentioned in underwriting, yes, there's going to be, there's algorithmic underwriting that's already happening at many of the carriers. Mm-hmm. And in some carriers, we are seeing some algorithmic pricing that's being done, but there's always a human being in the loop. Yeah. Right? And I think that's where that's quite exciting for us. It's enabling people in the industry to do more with better insight that ultimately result in better pricing, better underwriting, you know, and a better customer experience. I think that's the real opportunity. I think the promise of maybe, you know, a few years ago where AI would be able to do it all in a box for you. I think it's, it's difficult for a lot of insurers to be able to, to, to relinquish a lot of that human being in the loop and for Mm -hmm. a good reason, because ultimately Mm -hmm. it's their paper or it's their brand that's going to be impacted. And, um, and I think one last thing I'll say here is a lot of what we're still seeing in AI is um, still tremendously opaque, 
right? And it's, it's, if the insurers aren't able to develop that or have, have that capability, the AI capability completely in house, it's going to be hard to be able to make any sort of wholesale changes to existing processes that we see in our industry. And until the insurance industry can recruit that talent, which is hard enough to get that talent as it is for the tech companies, right. then I think you're always going to see a human in the loop. And I think, yeah. I think you're right. I think that we're a couple iterations, generations, generations can in our, you know, in the tech business are, can be super short, but I think we're a ways away from big, big answers in it. And what do I know? I mean, I'm just a yo-yo, but I, but I think that for all the reasons that you just described, not to mention what makes the insurance industry comfortable, right? Like you said about uh, underwriters trusting what an AI says, that's a problem. Sure. And you're going to have, and, and like one of the big things that we see, we work in the claims end of the business. We work for Alacrity, large claims provider. Um, and it's about cultural adoption frequently, right? Not that a solution doesn't work, but maybe the people who are going to implement that, they're no, 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 no. I don't want it. Right. And so there's, there's still generations of work to do. Um, and I'm not talking about hundreds of years, but years for, for really the everything to turn around. I mean, we're not talking about ordering a car to take us out tonight. We're talking about these long-term complicated relationships in a, in a highly regulated environment. It's, it's super complex. And, and it's funny because I just wanted to say one last thing because we're getting towards the end here. But sure. um, when you tell somebody, I work in the insurance, like we were talking about that, you know, working in the insurance industry, what's the, what's the answer that you get there? The comment that you get back almost every time is, oh, you sell insurance, right? Because yeah. most people, when it comes to insurance, that's the only thing they know about the insurance industry. Right. So, the people that work in it sell it, you know, when we were, you were talking about the agents. So it kind of dances to its own music off on the side and uh, the insurance industry and the insurance business. And so bringing these exciting, life-changing, industry-changing products in is um, a big deal just in its own right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I think you know, to your point, right. And to, to what I said earlier too, the, the industry plays such a pivotal role in a well-functioning society. And as societies evolve, the problems of those societies also evolve. And it's imperative for us as an industry to continue to keep up with that. Right. I mean, I, I think of, you know, a lot of the, the big area of focus for us at Anthemis right now is, is, niche or underserved risks as an example, right? Mm. Mm. This goes back, going back to what we just talked about around data, but also even AI or maybe calling it better computational power or data exhaust, right? You know, there, there are so many, there are so many opportunities that we're seeing a lot of MGAs, for example, being launched to underwrite underserved risk and, and right. to reduce global yeah. coverage gaps. Right. Mm -hmm. And none of that would be possible if it wasn't for, you know, you know, uh, the, the computational power to be able to analyze data in more effective ways for the, the infrastructure systems, for example, 
um, you know, APIs, for example, to be able to enable um, these new business models to be formed. We're at a really great place where the technology has caught up to the point where, you know, for years in the industry, we say, wouldn't it be great if, well, we're getting there. Now to your point, it's as an industry, can we culturally start to evolve to really get to that promise? I think we're getting there. There's, when I started covering InsureTech again years ago, there was a healthy amount of skepticism from executives when I would talk about it. This is again, pre my, my pre-venture days when I was in consulting. Now, again, it's, it's, it's quite ubiquitous. You don't get die rolls anymore. Everyone knows it's a serious thing. It's just trying to figure out how to do it in a way that it's sustainable from a unit economics perspective. Mm-hmm. It's profitable because at the end of the day, this is still, we're still in the insurance mm-hmm. business. We're still in the business of transferring and pricing risk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lee works in one of his areas of responsibility is the program area. And Lee, I mean, you see all kinds of crazy things there. All sorts. Yeah. Underserved areas that these TPAs come in or these uh, MGAs come in and they, they write this niche product that we didn't really know we needed, but we need it. It, It's fascinating. And it explodes. And it explodes. Um, It's a very interesting world. It's exciting. One last question and then we're going to let you go. Sure. And I mean, we've hardly talked about your company, which, which, you know, has such an amazing reputation. So we'll have to have you back to, to dig into that. But what's a day like in your life? You live in Texas. Your team is spread out around the world, as far as I know. Yes. We are, our two main offices are in New York City and in London. Mm-hmm. We have a globally distributed team. So we have folks on our team that, you know, in the U.S. are going as far west as San Francisco. But, you know, and deep into Europe, uh, um, you know, looking at it from the from the east and, you know, for us also, I think what, what makes it fun is, again, going back to our LP base, it's tremendously global, right? So it's not focused in Europe. It's not only in the U.S. We've got LPs all over. So for me. I'm in the central time zone, which sometimes I kick myself for being central, uh, for this, for the role I'm in. Cause I'll be up at maybe 6am taking a call, right. Um, yeah. with our LPs and going through, you know, talking about what we're seeing in the market and, and everything we already mentioned. Right. And so my, my days start from, you know, particularly early and they can go quite late. There are no two days are the same. Uh, and I think that's the, the, the best thing about my role. And I think working in venture, right. Is, Usually my days are front loaded speaking to our LPs and the afternoons it's usually working with either portfolio companies directly or um, our investment teams to follow up on what we've heard from our LPs because the, the role that I'm in can be a really helpful feedback loop for our investors once they start to hear about, you know, what's, what our LPs are starting to prioritize what they're seeing. So, you know, while it's good business for us to, to be connected to these LPs and make sure that they're getting um, what they need, it's, it's wonderful for us because it's, it's highly collaborative, right? The venture industry is tremendously collaborative. And, um, you know, I, I'd say that, yeah, no two days are, are alike, but, um, they definitely do start early. That, that, that's, that, that's the common bond I'd see with all the days here, but I love it. It's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, what we can accomplish in the next year and then looking on the next five years. Cause I think, you know, we, we haven't even talked about what, what's going on in fintech. And I know that's not necessarily in the scope of this conversation, but like th- there's so much opportunity within the financial service space to continue to evolve. We are still very much at the beginning of it, even though this is matured and, you know, the fintech broadly speaking is, you know, well over 10 years in terms of investment cycle now, mm-hmm. but 
we are still at the very, very beginning of, uh, of some of this innovation. I think it's going to be really exciting to see how things play out. I it's, agree. It's I agree. so early because there's so many, I hate to call them problems, but so many problems to solve and uh, very exciting time. You guys are in a wonderful position at a great time. And, and, but you did get to do two things today that were, were awesome. One is you got to have a meeting that's not in the middle of the night and, True. Or, and, in the morning. <laughs> or, or in the morning. And second is you got to be on a podcast. Hey, it doesn't, hey. It doesn't suck. It's it exciting days. What a life. What a life. <laughs> you won't hear me complaining. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much. We've appreciated it and used up more than your um, required allotment of time. The allotment of time that we paid for. That's right. Oh, with, with oh so much. <laughs> but we'll ask you what we ask the people who really impress us. Would you come back again and keep talking? Yeah, I'd love to. This has been a lot of fun and it's, it's been a great sort of unpacking what we're seeing in the space and really appreciate the time. You guys are doing important work here in the space. Thank and you. so we appreciate being able to contribute to that in a really small way. It's a privilege. Thanks. Thank you so much for being on. Bye now. Thanks, guys. I wrote Lee a note after we got started and uh, with Ali and I said, very smart. That is correct. You did. And I, I wrote back, I agree. Very smart. And what a pleasure to have somebody from such a prominent company in the space um, yeah. who has a unique job. It was great. I thought it was great. And whenever you go to the website and you look at the number of investments, uh, really my eye was drawn to one of our very first guests they invested in. And it now says, you know, they, they exited, uh, but it was flow. It was flow. Oh. And that was four years Gabe ago Halimi. that we Gabe visited Halimi. with Gabe and it's now mm-hmm. flow by Moen. And in mm-hmm. fact, I was at an event the other night. I was talking to a home builder and I asked him, I said, do, do you ever use any of these automatic water shutoffs? He goes, no, but I need to. I was like, you need to use flow. But it's so funny how it all comes back. So they've been around. They've been here. They do some exciting things. And he was a, a great, great person to, to visit with today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, 50%. I I, I want to repeat this that you heard. I, I think you, oh no, maybe you didn't. Maybe this was offline. Fifty percent of their investments are uh, female founder led, right? And uh, that's really cool. That's putting your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah, that's and, true. Uh, we we thank first of all. We have to say thank you, Ali Savavi, for getting us to Ali, and yes. uh, what a pleasure it was to have both of you. But a pleasure to have Ali today. And thank you so much to Ali for being with us. Thank you to all of you for listening to our Mishigas. And thank you to our producers, Al Moya. And what's your name? So wrong. Alicia, that's right. (laughs) What? 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 See if you get any more good guests. That's it. It's all over now. Um, You're done. Couldn't do it without Alicia and the work she does. Couldn't do it without Al and his technical assistance. Thank you both. And thank you, thank you most especially for listening to us and putting up with us. And until next time, we'll say goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>